There's a lot of different things that we do not have the same of. You don't, we don't have the same experiences in life. We don't have the same education in life. We don't have the same gifting in life. There, there's a lot of things that are different, and yet we all have the same amount of time. Every one of us has the same amount of time, whether you are Elon Musk or you are someone that lives on the street, everybody has the same amount of time. It is a great equalizer that we all have. And I've shown this before in various times, but here's just kind of statistically speaking what we spend our life on. 28 years sleeping. Some of you try to kind of combine that all at once and really just, yeah, for the first 28 years of my life, I think I might just sleep. That sounds great. 10 and a half years working, nine years doing video games or social network or whatever it is. Two and a half years grooming. That seems like a lot. And I think that's probably double for some people. Four years eating and drinking. All sorts. Nine years. This seems like the surveyors just got lazy. Nine years of other activities. I don't know. Just throw it in there. All sorts of different things that we spend our time on. Obviously, it kind of clusters in sleeping and working and then kind of what you do after work. You just maybe kind of veg out. But that's 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 what our life is spent on over the course of your lifetime. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of these kind of calendars, but in some ways it's really cool. In other ways, maybe it seems kind of morbid, but this is your life. If you live 80 years, this is your life. In weeks, there's a checkbox and it comes with a pen and you can just kind of slowly see your life fading away and just kind of cross off the checkboxes of your life and get one of these, put it in your, um, you know, put it, you put it in your house and just slowly check off the boxes. But this is our life. We all have the same amount of time. Obviously, we live different spans of time, but we all have the same amount of time every day. And it all ends in the same place. It all ends eventually here. Maybe this is in California. So maybe not, and maybe it doesn't all end in as beautiful of a place, but it all ends here. All of us have the same amount of time. We use the same amount of time, often in similar categories, and it all ends in the same place. And our time is limited. Our time is limited. When you're younger, it doesn't often feel that way. It feels like everything is ahead of you. The older you get, the more you start to feel, yes, our time is limited. And the question is this, what do we use it for? We've all got time. We've all got, we, it all is going to end here, but what do we use it for? What do we want to use our time for? How do we make it count? How do we make it significant? How do we make it matter? How do we use it in the best way possible? How do we use our time in the best way possible? All of us are living and all of us, the series that we have been going through in the book of Ephesians, we've all, we are all building a life. Ephesians uses that language of build many different times, and we are all building a life. We're all kind of one hammer swing at a time, constructing the life that we have. But it's not always focused. It's not always focused. Sometimes we're just kind of swinging the hammer and whatever we have, there we go. That's what I've got. But what if we could live with focus? What if you knew that each of these checkboxes, that each week of your life, that each day of your life, what if you knew that it was lived with focus, with intentionality, that you were able to make decisions that you were able to know that you use your time well, you were able to discern between I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this. You knew that even the, the normal routines of your life, kind of the basic things of life, you knew that you were making them count, that they were significant, that they weren't, you didn't have a bunch of lines on here that were wasted. What if we could live like that? Whether you are young and just beginning to build your life, some of you are just beginning to start families, just beginning to, or just growing your families, adding a second child, third child, fourth child, ninth child, who knows, but you're, you're beginning to grow your family, you're beginning to buy homes, get married, find your career. Some of you are just young and beginning to build a life. Some of you are older and you are beginning to think about okay, what does the rest of my life look like? I, I want to make sure that the years that I have left matter and are not just thrown away and that the best years are behind me and I'm just kind of 
waiting until I get there. What do you do to make your time count? How do you make the big picture of it, the daily routines of it, significant and matter? What is the way that we can use our time best? God wants us to use our life in a way that counts, in a way that matters. He wants to give every checkbox that you have focus, intentionality, meaning. So how? That's what we're going to look at today in this section. Here's, I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll explore it together. Here's what Paul says. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's start with this. How does God want us to view time? How does God want us to view time? said that we all have the same amount of time. It all ends up in the same place. How does God want us to view the time that we have? And if you're new, if you're just joining us, I'm going to just give a short little recap of some of the things that Paul has said in the book of Ephesians. And what he has said is that God values you. He has saved you. If you're a Christian, God has saved you. He came into this world and he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you, to give you life. Your life matters to him. He saves you, says that he adopts us into his family. That means he values your life. He wants you. He doesn't look at our lives and just go, yeah, a bunch of weird little two-legged creatures running around. You, you matter to him. He values you. He cares for you. He saved you. And he has a purpose for your life now. It's not just that he saves you, job done, and now he kind of moves on. It says that he saves us for good works, which means that God saves you, but also has a purpose and a mission that he gives to your life. God saved you. Your life matters to him. He wants your life to actually have a usefulness in it. He talks about fruitfulness, your life bearing fruit. Your life can be a blessing to the people around you, to your family, to your city, to your church. So God looks at your life. This is some of the things that we've seen in Ephesians and says, your life deeply matters to me. You're not, I don't know how many, I think there's almost 8 billion people now in the world today. And God doesn't just kind of look at you like we might look at an anthill and just go, yeah, there's a lot. But God says, your life matters to me. I value you. And I've got a purpose and a mission for it. And your life can actually mean something and be a part of something. That is how God views you, which means this. He wants us, therefore, to pay careful attention to how we use the life that he's given us. If he didn't care about you and your life didn't matter to him, then he wouldn't care what you did with your life. But because you matter to him, because he saved you, because he designed you, because he has a purpose for you, because our lives can actually have deep significance in them, because of that, he says, pay careful attention to how you are using your life. Time is a really valuable and important tool. And the more important the tool is, or the more important the task is as well, the more careful attention we have to pay. If you have a knife, if you have a knife, and sometimes if I'm cutting brownies, my wife might make brownies and, you know, they're sitting out or some, some kind of thing, right? They're, they're sitting out and I'm like, I think I'm going to cut these up. I, I'm not cutting very straight. I just kind of cut, all right, here's a square for me. And sometimes she looks, she's like, did you cut these? Like, no, the kids cut those, you know, <laughs> I don't say that, but it kind of looks like that. The, a kid did it, an inner child, some kid's inner child did that, but I'm not really paying that much attention. I'm using a knife, but I'm not, I'm just kind of whatever, just cutting, getting what I want. Now, if you walked into a surgeon and they had that same mentality with a knife, you would say, I don't want you to use, I don't want you to use the brownie knife or that kind of mentality when it comes to my organs. I want you to pay careful attention because you know that the task and the tool really matter. And Paul is saying that what God is saying is this, 
your life really matters. And thus, the way that you use time has to be very careful. It's a very important tool to be used with careful attention, not to be used carelessly. If that's true with a a knife, how much more true with your very life, with the time that God has given to you? So God wants us to view time paying careful attention. That means focus. That means your life really matters. And God's vision for the way that we use our time is not just that we avoid evil. That's true. Avoid evil. That can be one application for you today. Avoid evil. But that's not the totality of what God's vision is for your life. It is that we make the most of the time. It's not just that we would avoid doing bad things, as if that is the sum of the Christian life. Just don't do bad stuff, and then do whatever else you want. It is that God wants us to make the most of the time that we have. Your life matters to him. It's significant. He's given you life. Think about that. He caused you to have existence. He says, I want you to make the most of the time. I don't know if you've ever used um, a tour company, whether you've done like a, a travel agent or if you've ever gone somewhere. Most of the time when we travel places, we don't, I don't pay for the tour to a museum or anything like that. I just use my phone and feel like I can figure it out. Uh, a handful of years ago, we were in Greece on sabbatical, and I remember there was a tour, and she was walking them through in Athens, like, here's where Socrates taught, and here's where, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting, and I stood there to listen, and then she stopped and just looked at me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to, I have to pay to listen to this? Fine, I'm just staring at this. I'm not really, uh, I'm just looking over here. And the reason that you would pay a tour company or a travel agent or a guide or someone like that is so that you are able to make the most of the time, right? So that you get the full experience. So that you don't just walk by a bunch of ruins and go, oh, that's cool, that's old, that looks interesting, there's some writing I don't understand. But so you get the backstory and so you can understand it more and you can, you can make connections to things that you see and that you're, it, it's able to draw out stuff so that you're able to make the most of the time. So you get the full experience. That's what God wants for your life. God wants you to get the full experience of why he designed you, of why he saved you, of why he brought you into existence. He doesn't want you to just kind of pass through life and go, yeah, I kind of did this and did that. And I slept a lot, did a lot of working and other activities, the end. He wants you to make the most of the time so that you are able to get the full experience of why he created you, and of what your life can be. That is what God's desire is and what his heart is. This, Listen, this is the big picture of your life. This is what God wants for the big picture of your life. But it's also what he wants for Tuesday. Like there's no way for this to be true of the big picture of your life if it's not true on Tuesday. God wants this for each of those check boxes in your life, for you to be able to pay careful attention and make the most of the time that he has given you on a big picture level when you think of your life, but also just the everyday weeks, what you do on Tuesday, the sum of your life is what you do on Tuesday for 80 years. And I'm just picking Tuesday just because, and Wednesday and Thursday, but the sum of your life is what you do on those days. God wants you to get the full experience. He wants you to be able to know and experience everything that he designed for you. Now, let me say this. If you are new, or if if you've heard me say this, I haven't been talking about it every week, but at the beginning of this year, we handed out these little notebooks that say, build the name of this series, but also what God is wanting to do in your life. And that is part of the vision of those notebooks, is we have 14 or 12, excuse me, different pillars of discipleship that help you to pay careful attention to all the different areas and to walk through those things. That's why we are saying, let's Let's have this year be the most focused, intentional year we've ever had. It's, it's really birthed out of the verses in the Bible that are like this, to pay careful attention, to make the most of the time, to look at all the different areas in your life and say, God, I want to do that. And that's just one tool that we've provided along with a website and a podcast that help fill those things out. How can I pay careful attention to these things? So if you don't know what that is, I want to encourage you to, you can talk to me, talk to Dion. We'd love to help you get one of those books and 
be connected to the website and the podcast if you know what that is, but it's just kind of been like, oh yeah, whatever. I would encourage you. This is part of why we have this so that you can pay careful attention to the life that God has given you. God sees your time, every square, every checkbox, and says, your days count. They have deep meaning. And God wants you to get the full experience of why he designed you, saved you, and brought you into this world. Second thing, what makes it difficult to make the most of the time? Because maybe you hear that and say, yeah, that sounds nice. I do. I don't want to waste my check boxes. They, they all matter. I, I want to make the most of my time. And yet, it's difficult. It doesn't just happen easily. This is the call that God gives us. It's a great gift that God has given to you in your life, but it isn't easy. It isn't easy to make the most of the time. Paul says that the days are evil. Make the most of the time. Pay careful attention to how you live. Why, Paul? Because the days are evil. And that means that the world that we live in is not naturally helping you to make the most of the time. The world that we live in is against God. It always has been. After sin entered the world, the world pulls us away from God. It's not the days are all in your favor and everything is pro-God. So if you just kind of drop into this world, if you don't do anything, you'll naturally just drift towards loving God and making the most of your time. That's not what it is. I don't know if you've ever, most of you have probably walked a dog. I don't know if you've ever walked a big dog and the dog has, wants to go a different direction and you're kind of walking the dog and it, it pulls you. And sometimes, you know, a little dog, you can just, and just kind of pull him back to where you want it to go. Hopefully no one here works for the Humane Society. Um, <laughs> but if you're walking a big dog, sometimes it, you, it, it's got some power. We were at the zoo yesterday and, um, and there's some big animals there. All right, so we were at the, the lion center, whatever, the lion area, and the lion was right up against the glass. Super cool. I've never seen a lion that close. It was licking the glass, and there's like this little two-year-old and, and my kids also just touching the glass. And like, if that, if that wasn't there, that lion is, why is he lick, Why is he so interested in that two-year-old? You know, why is he licking over and over again? And if you're trying to walk a lion, if you're trying to walk a lion, I, was, I, I did this once. No, I'm just joking. I mean, if you're trying to walk a lion, that, you're going to have no control of that, right? It's going to be pulling you as far away. Paul is saying the days are evil. The days are, there, there is a strong pull. You can't manage this. It's not just like a little thing that you can kind of direct the days where you want them to go. There is a strong force in the world. Paul, Paul uses language earlier of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, the whole world, its systems, its values, they are against God. Which means if you just plop into the world, it, like a lion, is pulling you where it wants you to go. And Paul talks about the flesh, which means our sinful nature. We are taught in our culture to look inside, follow your heart. But your heart, if it's not centered on God is like a lion pulling you away from God. The world, the flesh, the devil, Satan himself wants to get us away from God. So when Paul says the days are evil, he is saying you are living this life, but there is a strong tug away from following Jesus, away from living life with the intentionality and the purpose and the making the most of that God designs you for and wants you to have. It is not neutral, the world we live in. And it is not natural to make the most of your life and your time. It's not natural. No one drifts to intentionality in their life. No one drifts to making the most of your life. If you do nothing or if you don't pay careful attention, it will tug you into a direction that is away from what God designed you for. That's what Paul is saying. The days are evil which means this, and maybe for some of you, this is a hard truth to hear. It is possible to waste the life that God's given you. It is possible, Paul says, to live foolishly. It's possible that God gives you a life and you use it foolishly. It's possible that God gives you a life and you don't make the most of it. You make moderate use of it, 60% of it, 
you pass, but you don't get the full experience. That is possible to have that. And Paul is warning us. He doesn't want that to be the case. He wants us to make the most, to pay careful attention, because that's what God designed you for, because that's what God gives to you. And he says, the days are evil, which means there will be a pull away from what God has for you. But this is true also. Even if you, even if you have felt like, yep, that's been true for my whole life. I've kind of passed these get degrees or whatever, you know, I've, I've passed, I slid by. Even if that's true, it's never too late to say, okay, God, today, I want to make the most of the time you've given me. Today, I'm going to pay careful attention to the life that you've given me. It's never too late to do that. It's never too late. So it, it's difficult to make the most of our time because Paul says the days are evil. There is a strong pull, strong tug. So finally, not finally, sorry, that was a preacher lie. Uh, how do we make the most of the time? Normally, I've got like three sections, but today, as a special bonus offering, I've got four sections. <clears throat> it is your lucky day. How do we make the most of our time? Now, truth is, oftentimes we don't think about that a lot, right? You don't wake up on Monday and before you go to work, just say, how do I make the most of the time? That's usually not just an ever-present thought that we have. It might come in reflective moments. It might come during tragedies. It might come when a loved one dies. It might come in kind of some of those cases, but it's not an ever-present reality that we're just living, okay, I'm going to make the most of the time. I'm going to make the most of the time. That's not normally how we live. We often just kind of have the cares of life that we're dealing with. It's hard to think about making the most of the time when you just have to get the job done. You just have to get the kids ready for school or wipe the baby's butt or whatever it is. Like, it's hard to just be like, okay, make the most. You're just kind of, we just live through life. We're busy and we've got responsibilities and we've got things. And sometimes we're not thinking about making the most of the time because we just kind of float through life. And then we might think about making the most of the weekend, which usually is how do I maximize this, get out of work early on Friday, have as much fun as I can, and then kind of do the whole thing again. So often we're not really thinking about how do I make the most of the time? If we do, if we do, in those reflective moments, what normally comes to your mind about what a life would be that was making the most of the time? What normally comes to your mind? Oftentimes it's, well, I, I want to spend time with those I love. I, it's family. Sometimes it's more kind of a bucket list mentality of making the most of the time is doing all these things I've always wanted to do. Walk a lion. There's a new one. I, there are all these things that I wanted to do. Or, or maybe it's more just kind of generally speaking, I want to be happy. I just want to do the things that give me happiness. Pursue what makes me happy. Sometimes it's to help others or make a difference or leave the world a better place, things like that. Paul gives us something different. Paul says, the way that you make the most of the time is by understanding what the Lord's will is. Pay careful attention. Make the most of the time. The days are the evil. So don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. That's what he gives to us. He's going to give us two things, but that's the first one. Understand what God's will is. If you want to make the most of the time that you have, if you want to make every box count, if you want your life to get the full experience that God designed you for, created you for, put you on this world for, Paul says it's actually really simple. You don't have to create a, a vision board. You don't have to create a list of all the things that you've ever wanted to do. You don't have to kind of figure out some secret way to make sure that you are able to do all the right things and uncover all the secrets of a happy life. He says it's actually very simple. Understand what God's will is. Understand what God's will is. That's how you make the most of the time. That's how you give meaning to the big purpose of your life, the grand scope of things, and Tuesday. As you understand what the Lord's will 
is. And listen, when it's talking about understanding what the Lord's will is, sometimes if you're a Christian, if you've been in kind of church circles for a while, or maybe even if you're just new and exploring things, you might hear that and go, okay, well, what is the Lord's will? I, I need to figure out what the Lord's will is. And that becomes this whole other thing of, okay, what is God's will? And how do I know God's will? And I need a sign and I need to, okay, what is, what is God's will? I need to pray. I need to put, I need to figure this out and figure that out. No, it's actually really simple. When the Bible talks about knowing God's will, it means his revealed will, which we have in God's word. God doesn't hide his will from you. God has a will for your life, and it's revealed in his word. God isn't a scavenger hunt master that says, I have a will for you, but you better go find it. God isn't an Easter egg hunt person. God says, I reveal my will to you. I want you to know my will because I want you to make the most of the time because I've given you life and your life matters to me. And so here's my will for your life. We find God's will for our life in the Bible. God reveals to us and says, here's my will for you. He reveals his character. He reveals his heart. He reveals his commands. He reveals his instructions. He tells us what his will is. It's not a secret. Paul says, if you want to make the most of your life, that begins by understanding what God's will is. He has shared his will with us. He doesn't hide it. And your life and your time and your Tuesday will count, will matter, will get the full experience, will be made the most of when you are bringing it in line with what God's will is. When you listen and receive his will and obey his will. And think, if God is good, if God is all, all perfectly good, if God is all perfectly loving, if God is all perfectly wise and all perfectly power, if that, if powerful, if that's who God is, then doesn't it make sense that life would be made the most of by listening to the most wise, most loving, most powerful, most eternal being that there is? We oftentimes are trying to figure out life by talking to experts of various kinds. How do I get the most of my money? Well, I need to kind of talk to this financial person or talk, well, how do I get the most of my health? I need to talk to this person and my doctor or therapist, or I need to get the most of family. I'm going to read these parenting blogs. Or I'm going to do this, or I want to get the most of my education. I'm going to do talk to this, but whatever it is, right? Oftentimes we try to talk to experts to get the most and figure out the wisdom. And doesn't it make sense that to get the most of life, to get the most of the time that God's given to you, that we would talk to the most loving, most wise, most powerful, eternal God. And God gives it to you. God shares it with you. He reveals, that's one of the beautiful things about God. It's not that he's some expert and you have to you know, pay certain levels and tiers and then you can get on the text group with God or you can be in the secret VIP group with God. And he'll, God says, I'll tell you, I love you. I want you to know my will. God reveals his will to us. So here's what we need to ask. Does God care about my life? Does God care about my life? Does God have something to say about my life? Does God have something to say about my time? Is God wise? Is God loving? And if the answer is yes, which it is, then, then ask this. Am I seeking to know what his will is for my life? If that's true of who God is, God is wise, God is loving, God does care about my time. Am I, do I actually want to know what he says? Am I coming to him and saying, God, show me your will when it comes to my family. Show me your will when it comes to my money. Show me your will when it comes to my place in this world. Show me your will when it comes to Tuesday. Show me your will when it comes to my work, my marriage. If God is the most wise, the most loving, the most powerful, and he wants your life to matter and get the full experience, and he reveals his will to us, are you seeking it? Are you coming to him to learn it? Paul says, 
the days are evil, which will pull you away naturally from God. And so if you want to make the most of the time, Paul says, understand. That's a verb. That is a action that you do. Understand what the Lord's will is. Means bring your life before God and open up his word and say, God, I want to live in line with what you have said life is about. I don't want to direct myself. I'm not the most wise, most powerful, most loving person. I don't even make the top three million. I want to know what your will is. So speak to me, show me, lead me. That is what leads our life to counting, to making the most and getting the fullest experience. And then he gives us a second thing. So there's two things he tells us of how we make the most of the time. First is to understand what the Lord's will is. And then the second is, he says, and don't get drunk with wine. Whiskey's okay. Which leads to wreck. I'm just joking. That's just, it was the more common drink at that point. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the spirit. So he says, understand what God's will is. Here's how you make the most of the time. Here's how you pay careful attention. Here's how you fight against the days and the current being evil. Understand what God's will is. And don't get drunk, but be filled by the Spirit. And here's why he puts these together. Whether you've been drunk or not, or you just understand the effects of alcohol, when you are drunk, the alcohol gets inside of your body and influences everything about you right? It gets rid of all your inhibitions. It changes reality, changes your language, changes your actions. You do things you normally wouldn't do. You say things you normally wouldn't say. You pee in places normally you wouldn't pee, right? You do all sorts of things. It influences you fully. You are affected fully by the alcohol. It gets inside of your system, changing your thoughts, your behaviors, your actions, your words, all of you becomes different. Paul says that is kind of what being filled with the Spirit is like. That's why he puts those together. Don't be filled by alcohol, but be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit who is God. So be filled by God. And that word for being filled with the Spirit, this word for the Spirit is actually a similar word that is used for breath, because that's part of how we think of the Spirit of God, is that God enters inside of us just as we fill our lungs up with air, with oxygen. God gets inside of us. Or if you think about a musical instrument, I don't know if you, any of you play, my son plays the clarinet. <clears throat> I don't know if you played any uh, instrument like that, but you blow air into it. You fill it with air. And then it changes. It moves from just a trumpet that just is sitting here doing nothing to as air comes into it, it fulfills its purpose. It becomes what it was designed to be, making beautiful or sometimes annoying noises. Or if you think about a sailboat, a sailboat is different than a powerboat. Nobody skis behind a sailboat. These boats back here, They've got an engine. They've got a motor that propels them. But a sailboat, you know, is propelled by the wind. That the sail goes up, and it's the wind that comes to it, the breath that comes to it, that powers it, that moves it along. It is being filled like the trumpet, like the saxophone. It is being filled for its intended purpose. It is being filled, which gives it power. Paul says, be filled by the Spirit of God, which means you become totally influenced by Him. Just as alcohol totally influences your words and your actions and your character and your choices, what if, what if you were filled with God? Wouldn't it be better if your actions were totally influenced? Wouldn't it be better if you were under the influence of God? All of your actions directed by Him? All of your words, not slurred, but all of your words being under the influence of God. All of your thinking, all of your choices, the direction under the influence of God is filling me, every part of me. 
And so my mind is different and my words are different and my actions are different and my choices and my, my, what I love and who I am is different because God is entering inside of me. And I am becoming like an instrument designed for the purpose that I have. His breath is inside of me. And so I become what I was intended to be because he is filling me. And I have a power that is outside of myself. So like a sailboat, I am moved along in life, not by what I can do, but because God is filling me. So I'm able to sail across the seven seas or whatever. That's what Paul says, be filled by the Spirit. Now, here's how this happens. The way that that happens, Paul has actually used this language of being filled a few other times earlier in Ephesians. And he's prayed this. Paul has a really similar passage in Colossians that really mentions almost all of this stuff. And instead of saying, be filled by the Spirit, instead it uses the phrase, pretty much all the other things are mapped on there. But instead of saying, be filled by the Spirit, which is helpful to understand how this passage then is to be interpreted. He says, let the word of God dwell richly in you. And as Paul has talked about being filled in the earlier parts of Ephesians, that's really what he's been talking about. He's talked about us being filled with the knowledge of God, being filled with the knowledge of the love of God. So here's what that means. To be filled by the spirit isn't just kind of some thing where you stand there and something happens to you, you know. It's not what it means. It means you are filled by the Spirit as you know more who God is, as you know more his love for you, as those things become real to your heart, not abstract. Because what God wants to do is take who he is and take his truth and take his will and make it alive to you fill you with it. Not just, I know God loves me, but to fill your heart and your mind with the reality of the height and depth and width and length, Paul said earlier, of God's love for you. The love that surpasses knowledge. And in the beginning of Ephesians, he talks about that you would know God, that the eyes of your heart would be open to see more who God is and all the blessings that he has for you, that that you would be filled with the knowledge of God, Paul says. So to be full of the Spirit, the Spirit's job is to take the things of God, the the things of God, the Word of God, and to make it alive to you, to make it real to you. So therefore, if you want to be full of the Spirit, to have the power like a sailboat, or to have the beauty and the intention and the purpose of your life like a saxophone or a trumpet, it comes as you open the Bible and say, take this truth, make it real to my heart. Take your love and make it not just known, but experienced. Take who you are in your character, your power, your strength, your faithfulness. Take who you are and, and, and move it from the page into me. Let it get inside of me. Let it fill me. Let who you are fill me. That, that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. The Holy Spirit is kind of like a spotlight who doesn't really bring attention to himself, but says, look at Jesus. Look at the Father. And he takes that stuff and fills your heart and your mind and then your life and your choices and your days and your checkboxes with living under the influence. That's what Paul wants us to have. That's what he wants us to experience. All the truth of who God is becoming real, powerful, being filled by him. Listen, isn't that amazing that that's what God wants to do? That God wants to not just say, believe in me, but he says, I want to fill you. God is never content with us just saying, I believe in you, the end. He wants to fill your life. He wants to be present with you. He wants to give you more than what we have. That is what God's, his goodness is infinite. He never just says, yeah, you've had enough of me. We're good to go now. He wants to fill you, to keep showing you. To keep you, for you to keep experiencing more. He's an infinite God, so there's more and more to know and to love and to appreciate of who he is. He is a good God that says, I want to be with you, present. I want to fill you. And he's never done. And 
This is a constant thing. The way that this verb is, that says be filled by the spirit, the way the verb is presented means a constant thing, not a one-time thing. So it's not like a, a water bottle that you fill up, close, done. It is now filled by the spirit. It is a constant ongoing thing that can continually happen like a sailboat, like a trumpet. It is a constant ongoing, which means this. There may be times in your life that you go, yeah, I, I, that, that was my experience. I felt like I was being led along, empowered, making music, the truth of God alive and real to me, but not now. Dang it. I guess it's over. I had, I was filled and now I lost my chance. No, this is a constant ongoing thing, which means if you had it and lost it, you can have it again, which means if you have it now, you can have it more. It's a constant and ongoing thing that we can receive. You don't get drunk one time and then sadly, because that happened, you're drunk for the rest of your life. Wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> Dang it. That one Friday has really messed with things. I'm texting all sorts of people. I'm saying, you know, but it's be filled by the spirit. It means it's a constant ongoing thing, which means there's great hope if you don't feel this, if you're not experiencing this, but it also means you don't get to kind of fill up once and then you're good to go. It means we must constantly come to his word and say, show me again who you are. I want to receive. I want my time and my choices and everything to be led by and influenced by you. We must come back over and over and over again. And God wants to do that in your life over and over and over again. So how do we make the most of our time? It's not just have a bucket list or do what makes you happy or spend time with your family or make a lot of money. Or It's not that. Paul says it is by listening to God and being led by him, which is actually really simple. It's actually really simple. You don't have to read all the research or figure out all the things. It's just that we bring our life to God and say, I want to obey you today. I want to know what you say about every area. And I want to live my life in line with that. And I want who you are to become real to me and leading my life. That's it. You do that and you are making the most of your time. You do that and your checkboxes matter. You do that and all of the routines, your work, your family, your parenting, your marriage, your hobbies, your joys, they all actually have deep significance and deeply matter because you are bringing it to God and being led by God, which is why it's so important to be here on a Sunday so that we can hear God's word. It's why it's so important to read the Bible. It's why it's so important to be in a community group or an LTG or have Christian community in some way that is speaking God's word so that we are understanding his will and being led by him. And now the final thing, truly. What does making the most of the time look like? What happens if we are living like this? If we are being led, influenced, receiving from him, resisting the evil pull of the culture and the world around us and our own sin, if we live like that, what happens? And Paul gives us these four things that are really like fruit of being led in this way. And he says, filled by the spirit, speaking to one another, this means this is what this looks like. It means this is what happens. It means this is the result speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that we live life as a musical, just kind of walking around and, you know, singing. Eh, that reminds me of this. It doesn't mean that. But it means that the fruit of being led by the Spirit, the fruit of knowing what God's will is, actually leads us to song. It leads us, listen, part of when we sing here on a Sunday, you are singing to God. That's what the next one will say but you're also singing to each other. I know we don't often think about it that way, but part of what we're doing is reminding one another of the truth. Part of what we're doing is we are speaking, which means here, your voice matters. Because we sing to one another. 
That is an overflow. That is a fruit of God's word is controlling me. And I want to know God and follow God. And I, I want who he is is so real to me that then we want other people to know it. And then the second one, which I already mentioned, is that we sing to God, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Some of you should never be on this stage when it comes to singing. <laughs> that's it. That's the whole point. Next one. No. <laughs> but in your heart, in your heart, God sees you and it matters to him. You might not be gifted in such a way to lead others in worship, but if you are making music with your heart to the Lord, God loves you just where you are. <laughs> your heart can make music to the Lord. Your heart can sing to God. Isn't that, doesn't that make sense as an overflow? If you are understanding what God's will is, if you are being filled by him, then you are going to want to sing to him. You're going to want to rejoice in who he is because you're seeing how good he is. And then third, he says that we are giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of Christ, which means that we live a life of thankfulness. We're not bitter. We're not grumbling. We're not complaining. We're not looking at all these pieces of life and seeing everything that's wrong. And listen, he says giving thanks, I, I, these, these qualifiers, giving thanks always for everything, not just giving thanks when everything is going my way and the particular things that I like giving thanks always for everything, a life that is filled with the Spirit of God, that knows God's will and is living into that, is actually going to be thankful always. I'm not saying you can't be sad. I'm not saying you can't have hard days. I'm not saying that, but there still is going to be a pervasive thankfulness that says, God, even the hard things in my life, I know you are using. I know you care for me. I don't understand this. I know you're good. It's able to receive the hard and the good still both with thankfulness because we know, because we are filled with the Spirit of God, I know who God is. I know He loves me. I know He cares for me. I know He's wise. And because we're full of that, we're able not to go through life complaining and grumbling and critical and judgmental, and we're able to live life with thankfulness. And then the final one is He says, Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. That is, fear is, when the Bible uses that language, the reverence, the awe of, not the terror. Which means that our relationships are changed. That we actually are living into our relationships in the right way. Ordered the way that God has designed them. We approach our relationships different. It gives a relational health in all the different ways. They're rightly ordered because, not even just of the other person, but because of who he is. Don't you want this life, a life that overflows in joy and thankfulness and encouraging to one another and singing to God and to one another, a life that has rightly ordered relationship? I mean, this is a life of joy and health and strength. This is the life that results. This is what it actually looks like when we are making the most of the time. This is the life that God wants you to have and experience, one overflowing like this. So ask, does that describe your life? Overflowing in song and joy and thankfulness and submission? Does that describe your life? If not, maybe it's because you've followed along with the course of the world. Or maybe it's because you're just drifting and not paying careful attention and making the most. Or maybe it's because you're not allowing God's word to get into your life and direct you, but you're just kind of figuring out your own path. Or maybe it's because you're not allowing God's word and who he is and his character to be filling you and spirit showing you over and again who God is. So if that doesn't describe your life, go back. Just go back to the things that we already looked at. It's not that it's hopeless and tough luck for you. It's go back. That's what God wants for you. A life of that joy and that thankfulness and that care and service. That's what he wants to give. So listen, we all have limited time. All of us have limited time. And we all have the same amount of time. And we can make the most of it. God gave you life. He values your life. He wants you to fully experience all that he designed you for. We're going to take communion in just a moment. If you're a Christian, hopefully you grabbed one of those little cups on the way in. If not, you can grab one. 
And when we take communion, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. As you take the bread, we're remembering that his blood was shed for us. This is something we do every week, and it's such a helpful and important thing that Jesus said, do in remembrance of me. So for those of us that have squandered our time or not made the most of it or not paid careful attention to our life or not lived understanding what God's will is, as you take communion, here's what it means. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. On the cross, he he forgives every wasted second, every wasted year, every choice made not seeking to understand his will, but to go your own way. He fully forgives. And as you take communion, that's one of the beautiful things that we remember. God says, I forgive that. Jesus died for time wasters. Jesus died for people drifting along. He forgives. He cleanses. We also remember that Jesus used his time and made the most of his time. And what Jesus said mattered. On his short time on this earth, he only was here for 33, 34 years. And there's a lot of things he could have done with his time, but Jesus said, I'm using my time to glorify God, to show who he is, and to save you, to bring you into my family. That's what Jesus said mattered. That's what Jesus used his time for, to save the world, to save you. And so as you take communion, we remember all of my time wasting is forgiven. And we remember a God that used his time to save us, to bring us in. And as you pray, confess. Confess ways that you have not used your time well. Ask God to lead your life. And then from here, take a step. A great step is to use those build notebooks to seek to be intentional in all the different areas. God wants to give you a full life, the full experience to make the most of the time he's given you. So let's pray and we'll respond with a few songs. I'll be in the back also. If anyone would like prayer, I'd love to pray for you for healing or for anything else going on in your life. Father, I thank you for your goodness, for your grace. I thank you that you save us, Jesus. I thank you that you desire to give us a full life to to experience all that you designed it to be. Help us, Lord, to step into that. Whether we are young or old, Lord, help us to fully live and fully make the most of the time that you've given. I pray as we sing, as we take communion, that you would fill us with your spirit, make your truth real to us, and let us then, in overflow, make music in our hearts, singing to you and singing to one another. In your name, Jesus. Amen.